Hey, friends of Mormon Expression, this is your pal John, and I'd like to invite you to a special event. On August 6, 2010, we will be holding our first annual live podcast and reception. It will be in Salt Lake City, and we'll let you know the venue here in a few weeks. The doors open at 6.30, the recording will begin at 7, and the reception will follow with tasty refreshments. The admission price is affordable, and all proceeds go to help fund the podcast and our miscellaneous expenses for the next year. You can go over to our website, mormonexpression.com, and find all the event details by clicking the link in the top right-hand corner. We hope to see you there. Uh, Make sure to reserve your tickets early because there is a limited number of seats available and we're sure it's going to fill up. It'll be a great time to come meet other like-minded individuals and meet the faces behind the voices on the podcast. We hope to see you there. Welcome back to another uh, edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. Tonight, I'm being joined by a few of our regular panels for another uh, intriguing discussion. Uh, first, I have um, Zilpha here with me. Hello. And we, our other two panelists are going to be exploring the polar opposites. We have our old friend, Niall. Vodengoda. And our uh, new old friend, Mike. Hello. Um, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to let you guys go at it. You know, I've been in lots of chapels in my uh, life and I have always noticed there's one thing missing and that's a suggestion box. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways for the church to tell us things, but not many ways for us to tell them things, uh, you know, subtle ways to improve or, or, uh, to help out a little bit and to, um, steady the proverbial arc. Isn't that right, Mike? That's correct. (laughs) So tonight, uh, we sent the word out a few weeks ago asking for uh, unsolicited advice that uh, we can pass along to the church, and um, they're free to download this and listen to it at will and uh, take notes and hopefully uh, learn a thing or two. So this is sort of a public service podcast for the brethren. So the people who responded gave us big, long lists. Um, I figured people would give us one or two items, but no, they, they... They took the assignment to heart, and we appreciate that for them. So what we're going to kind of do is go through their lists and uh, and see what they uh, they have to say to us. Um, I'm going to start with a short one from our friend uh, Glenn. Um, now, um, Glenn, Glenn, uh, you'll recall, was on our uh, recent podcast about uh, Mormon humor. And uh, Glenn gave us two. Um, his first one says, Stop focusing so much on the sin or the sinner and talking more about the good news from the atonement story from that Jesus guy. Infinite atonement, unconditional love, yoke is easy, and burden is light. You get the idea. So that's pretty good advice, wouldn't you say, Mike? Yeah. There's a there's a, a balance to strike, I think, with uh, oh, what's best between grace and works. And uh, I, I think he's saying we should focus more on the grace, whereas in the church we focus on the covenants we've made and the keeping of them and we kind of go through the list a lot of the time that we need to keep this and keep this and what happens if you don't so 
that I think that's something unique about the Mormon church is we have all these covenants that we make, whereas some other faiths don't have them or don't think we need them. So they focus more on grace and other faiths, whereas we focus on the covenants we've made. Yeah, and I think the church actually has been improving down that path uh, lately, um, assuming it's an improvement. Uh, the, you know, the church in the past was a lot more pharisaical and legalistic on this sort of stuff, and um, I, I think that's a message, uh, uh, what Glenn is suggesting is a re message that rings truer with a lot of people. Okay, uh, Glenn's uh, next little piece of advice is um, stop spending so much time and energy talking about how true the gospel is. Just do it. <laughs> That's a good one. I, always, I felt like that a lot. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, sort of the quasi-outsider, you know, the fact that the, they have to say it so much um, makes you start wondering if they really believe it. <laughs> you, you know, like if you go take a, a physics class at the university, they won't spend any time bearing your test their testimony about the fundamental laws of physics. It's just assumed to be true. And when people have to repeat it all the time, you start wondering if they really believe it. Okay, this one, uh, the next piece of advice, we have a, a f couple here from uh, Gardner. Uh, Gardner says, number one, make it absolutely clear that members are not forbidden by church beliefs from reading anything they want on science, history, or any other intellectual topic, including those writings of people who adamantly disagree with the church beliefs and practices. How did, how did they phrase now, that again? Make it clear that members are not forbidden by church beliefs to read okay. stuff. Uh, I think the problem might be that... Uh, that they are? They might be, yeah. Are, they, are, are you, they actually doing that? Are they actually doing what? Are, are they actually... Okay, are they actually forbidding... I mean, they may sort of poo-poo it or discourage it, but are they actually forbidding people but to when, read it? But when your prophet poo-poos or discourages something, that's kind of like forbidding something. Yeah, but I think Niall has a good point. I mean, when's the last time they specifically called out like a book or something and said, don't read Catch-22 or don't read, you know, Catcher in the Rye? That's not very typical. No, they're more I think it's the opposite. They tell you to go read books. Yeah. Um, but they just, they tell you not to read anything that would be contrary to the teachings of the church. I, I was, I was, which is a very broad category. Yeah, and um, Elder Packer in the Southeast region just gave a state conference this um, this last Sunday, um, and uh, that's the region I'm in, and it was broadcast from Salt Lake. And he was very much, according to a friend of mine, he was very much discouraging people getting on the internet to look up the church. He said, "Stick to the manuals. Don't type the church into the internet. That sort of thing." So I think there's a roundabout message going out that you shouldn't, but I, I don't think it's real explicit or real overt. See, I think forbidden would be the too strong a term, that's all. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Niall. Well, I think all the doubters and hand-wringers on the internet really can have an effect on people's testimony, and that's what they're trying to avoid, is, is go to proper sources as opposed to going to, uh, I don't know, Dr. Shade's board or something. Well, I think the church has good reason to be nervous. Um, you know about the free flow of information. I just don't think they're going out of their way to absolutely forbid it. I mean, how how would they enforce that? Well, and if you look at something like the theory of evolution, if you if you pick up the manuals, it's clear that the manuals assume that the theory of evolution is false. Um, that's a that's absolutely clear from their talk of the atonement and no death before the fall and all sorts of things like that. However. The church does not at all go around saying stuff like that overtly. 
So um, I, I think I think they kind of like to live in a in a in a either or world. You know, they like to allow people out there to um, um, you know read and believe what they want, but they're going to keep their hard line. No, 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 no. I think no, no. I think that's wrong. I think they don't. I think they know. I think everybody within the church knows what they're teaching and what the position of the church is, but they're being very careful not to say it out loud, so that to outsiders it would look weird. That might be more. Well, I think that the church has published quite a bit on things like evolution and, and, and things, but some of the things just don't. How pertinent is it to our salvation, other than knowing that Adam fell? You know, outside well, of that. That's the- that's the – I think that's the whole point is that it casts doubt into Adam falling. How would Adam fall if he's not the first man? How would Adam fall if there was no Garden of Eden? How would Adam fall if the world was always in a fallen state? Uh, you, you know, Mike, I have to take obse- exception to the that that sort of defense. I hear it a lot saying it's not pertinent to salvation because for me, when I was struggling, it was absolutely pertinent, and anybody I would talk to – who was knowledgeable on it from the church side would say that. And obviously it was very pertinent to me if I was struggling over it. So to kind of poo-poo it and say, hey, it's that doesn't matter, it absolutely does matter. Because if if humankind evolved from, you know, the muck and slime, um, that is at odds with what the Bible and Joseph Smith are telling us. Correct. I just think I, as far as the earth is concerned, it's far older than the fall. But to say that men evolve from apes is something completely different than saying there's an old earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I should be clear. I don't think most Mormons, um, you know, or intellectual Mormons on that side have any problem with evolution per se or, you know, the old geological periods. It's just human evolution they have a problem with. Yeah, they want to stop right before that and and then God steps in at that point. Right. The latest book I have on is a Pearl Gate Price commentary and they go into the uh, phases of creation and how long it took for these events to occur, and then they step into Adam. But I, I wouldn't say there's evolution like you, like you just said. Right, there are no pre-Adamites for you. Correct, correct. So do What's you think the Neanderthal is like a conspiracy? I just think they were an ugly branch of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, there's people in caves nowadays in China, you know, that, that, who's to say that there's this, you know, Bronze Age, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's people in caves today that are living with rocks and sticks. I, I'd suggest before you attempt to comment uh, authoritatively on it, you uh, educate yourself on the subject. Yeah, I don't know if <laughs> I want to explore Mike's weird evolutionary theories tonight. Um, all right, let's... Uh, let's um, move on to the next one that uh, Gardner has for us. Um, allow civil weddings followed by immediate temple ceilings. Um, I think that's a solid piece of uh, advice, and it's one we explored on an earlier podcast. Uh, obviously, the church does it overseas, so it doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, it seems like that would be the, the church's easiest solution to the problem of, of not having um, families participate in the weddings, which is a, which is a problem for a lot of people. I think I this ties into I uh I taught gospel doctrine today and we talked about uh people marrying outside the covenant. 
And I think this that's what this delves into is it's it's Mormon theology that the cause of Noah's flood was people marrying outside the covenant. And there's a lot of Old Testament stories where they, they're marrying outside. And there's a lot of concern and people are upset. And I think that ties directly into that teaching is that you don't marry those that aren't members. But okay, but you're, if you're marrying a member, the, the problem is that your your mother, who's never been a member, you, you join the church as an adult and you marry a Mormon. Your mother can't attend that wedding. That's the problem. And your, teen, your, your teenage siblings can't either. Well, I, I don't think it distracts at all from the, the ceiling. As a matter of fact, it would probably make it a little bit better because we do all this other garbage around weddings. We have cakes and throw bouquets and have luncheons and yada, yada, and on and on and on. And, you know, if a couple could quietly a week later or the next day or the day before or whatever um, go and do the ceiling separately— how does that distract at all from the sacredness of, of the ordinance? As a matter of fact, I, here, here's an, an analogy. Um, when I was a kid, um, they wanted to get the baptism and the um, and the confirmation lined up. They 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 said they they had to happen right about the same time. But it's not required. I mean, you can do them a week later, two weeks later. There's nothing nothing that makes you do those two ordinances right to, next to each other. So I think it's good advice. I think uh, the church should say, uh, you know, a, a civil marriage is a civil affair, and a, a ceiling is a, a, an ecclesiastical a affair. affair. And we don't we're not worried about your civil one. We're only worried about the ecclesiastical one. I, I think they're just putting their foot down and setting a standard that adhere yourself to these standards. Right, but it's unnecessary and it's hurtful. All right. You know, I'm uh, going to stick. I'm going to stick with Mike on this one. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if your highest ideal is marriage before God, and you believe that your marriage is coming from God, then that's who should be who's marrying you, not the government. Huh. Yeah, but as far as ceremonies go, if your family wants to be a part of it, why shouldn't they be allowed to be? They can go to the reception. That's not the wedding. That's not well, the marriage you know, I, ceremony. I, I would throw out that you would open the temple now that's, to everybody. That's my suggestion. That's my one suggestion to the church that oh, I wrote down. <laughs> yep. Families should be allowed to attend the marriage ceremonies with no exceptions. Hmm. All right. Next one. Stop doing tithing settlement. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell a secret out there. Um, Zilf and I quit doing tithing settlement about four years before we left the church. It's not a requirement. You don't have to go. Do they still give you the temple recommend? Yeah, because by the time you need your temple recommend, the bishop's forgotten that you didn't go to tithing settlement. Cause, well, and they ask you again there, don't they? Yeah, they don't like check your records when you go to a temple recommend. They just say, do you pay a full tithing? And you say yes. I'm not saying we didn't pay tithing. I'm saying we quit going to tithing settlement. Right. Huh. We, we kind of felt so like it was between us. Doing that then? I, I think sorry, so. Sir. Well, we felt like it was between us and God. I mean, we 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 felt like... Um, the bishop didn't need to be checking on everybody all the time. Yeah, it, it was just one more thing. I don't know if there was any like high principle involved on my side. It's just, you know, and they just mail you the 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 um, tax form. You know, if you don't go. Actually, you know what? I think we felt like we didn't want to waste his time because <laughs> we know how busy bishops are, and bishop has has families, and why take up more of his time unnecessarily? But. It is. I, I do still think it's a good piece of advice. That it's something the church doesn't have to do. They could just send those things out and then say, if you want to come talk to the bishop about it, do it. Gardner's last piece of advice: um, send a letter. Gardner. To, 
<laughs> send a letter to all bishops and stake presidents making explicitly clear they are not to ask anyone, particularly youth, about masturbation if brought up by the individual being interviewed. Tell him or her that it's a private matter between the individual and the Lord. Blah, 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 blah. I, I think, first of all, embedded in, in, in that is the church needs to come to a position on masturbation. I don't think they've actually done that. Well, self-abuse is not allowed. Well, uh, self-abuse. What, <laughs> from the 19th <laughs> well, that's century. what they call it. Uh, that's, I mean, that goes to the point of what I'm saying. I mean, you're still relying on really old pronouncements, and there's a lot of vague um, stuff, and I don't think it's absolutely clear what the p- church's position on masturbation is. I mean, they would say, don't do it. But I like, for example, it's not clear that you can hold a temple recommend if you're jerking the yurkin. I, I think I think um, it depends on the bishop. Yeah, and yeah, that's my point. You know, it's under the law of chastity, and I know they do have a, a form on it. Uh, I have I have one in my cabinet somewhere, but a form. Well, it's, it's a talk they gave where they explicitly went through it and said, "This is why you don't do it," and and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with that, that the people have said, don't, you know, don't masturbate or whatever. But what I'm saying is the church's stand on it is not clear. Like, is, you, is it an excommunicatable offense? Is it disfellowshipable? Do you have to stop taking the sacrament? Can you go on a mission if you're still masturbating? Uh, can you get a temple recommend? Those are the kind of things that, that I say aren't clear. I know they had to clarify it at the MTC. They pulled every missionary aside solo and said, if you're doing that, then you need to repent. And they they went over every single missionary with that. So Gardner is saying that that's inappropriate. Yeah, then uh, well, he's yeah. wrong. Well, I think part of law of chastity needs to be covered. Because yeah. um, like well, you I said, how many people don't know that it's part of law of chastity? How many people don't know that? And so they pull them aside and say, you yes, know, I, it is. Right. So why do they have I, to tell them individually and put them on the spot and embarrass them? No, no, I'm saying. What what are you talking about as part of the law of chastity? Where does that appear in any scripture at all? Where does this uh, where does this appear out of out of the Victorian obsession of of the church? Didn't God strike Onan down for spilling his seed? No, he, he struck him down for disobeying God. He, he struck him down for pulling out. I mean, to, to be to be, you know, it, it's an abuse of the creative power. Right, but he he wasn't masturbating. A little close enough. You know what happens if you don't masturbate as a male? I mean, isn't that spilling the seed? You keep your eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happens naturally, too, so God must want it to happen. All right, you guys are making the, me uncomfortable with your podcast. The rule is don't abuse the creative power. That's the rule. Okay. Well, so I'll stop if he stops. The, the, <laughs> the, well, I don't think that doing it by yourself in your bedroom is doing anything about creativity creating life all right so yeah wait a minute so if you use a if you use birth control is that messing with the creative power too yes well according to yeah i mean if you go to there were a lot of church talks that said as much but but if that's if that's the basis for we're denouncing it mike then uh do you denounce condoms too Uh, according to mormon doctrine that's the rule okay but according to mike what do you say (laughs) <laughs> the prophets have spoken. All right, all right. Let's okay. let's bring a let's bring a caller in here. Nathan, welcome to Mormon Expression. Thank you. Now, um, Nathan, in the interest of full disclosure, um, I think you have a relationship with one of our uh, regular panelists. Is that right? This is correct. I am Niles' brother. And Niles with us tonight. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so tonight we're talking about unsolicited advice. I assume you called us because you have some. I do. Not that I expect the church would actually listen to it or take it. No, we fully expect them to listen. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, man. Let okay. it rip. What I would say is, they, well, two things, but I'll choose one for interest of brevity. The, this, as this church becomes more diverse, uh, this, this diversity, I know that they're trying to embrace this, but one of the things that I've noticed, especially with my background, um, that they're pushing out a lot of people that could do a lot of good for this church. Uh, a lot of people, because of their uh, issues with uh, homosexuality and that lifestyle, I think that they can lose a lot of uh, good people simply because of their uh, something that they are struggling with. I know this is the case for me. It wasn't the reason I left the church, but it was a catalyst. So my, my advice would be to... The gays are okay. Well, in a sense, in a sense. Don't discard, don't discard the fruit on the vine. There's a lot of good people out there, a lot of people who are struggling. Now, when you hey, say... Nathan. When you say uh, this was an issue for you, I mean, that can be yeah. taken two ways. I'll, I'll, I'll let you clarify. Okay. Well, I, I am uh, I'm gay. Oh, okay. And this was one of the issues that uh, was a catalyst for me to re-examine my beliefs. Part of my experiences were when I went and uh, talked with my bishop and state president about this matter is that I felt that I was swept under the rug and hid from view. I uh, contrast this uh, with the church that I go to now, where the pastor was very open and honest and accepting, not, not of my lifestyle per se, as I wasn't seeking for acceptance of that. But I wasn't hid from view. He actually encouraged me to seek support from the congregation. And I think that could go a long way in this church, becoming open, more transparent. Um. You know, I think you might be missing the bigger point there. He didn't just uh, encourage you to, to to participate. What else did he do? He well, I mean, he didn't he didn't want you sitting in the audience. No, no, he had me participate. I am, you know, had me as part of the praise team up front. I mean, it it's it was something something that I felt because of my background, I was disfellowshipped in the church in the Mormon church, and not able to participate and able to share my gifts with being able to give this part of me back to the body of Christ. I feel like I've been able to learn more about what it is to be truly loved, uh, you know, be able to truly experience the love of God. Well, I think part of the, by disfellowship, it means you weren't allowed to take sacrament, correct? And you weren't take allowed to offer, offer prayers or teach classes. Correct. Correct. Because, yeah. you know, if you're teaching classes, then you're, you're going to – how comfortable would you be teaching doctrines that speak out against their lifestyle? Well, I understand. Uh, when I – the last time I was uh, most active in the church, I was completely celibate. Uh, it wasn't a matter of uh, going out against the lifestyle. It was the, it was the, the fact that the church wanted basically to keep me under wraps. 
Well, also something like sacrament. If you're taking the sacrament while you're, I guess if you're if you were celibate, you could. But if you're actively engaged in that lifestyle, then it, it's more of a condemnation to take the sacrament than a blessing. Understandable. That, right. So that. What is? I mean, but but it also comes down to what does the sacrament represent? A renewal I mean, of your doing, covenants. Exactly. And if this part of this covenants means not pursuing a lifestyle. I mean, at the time, I was not pursuing a lifestyle and hadn't for about two years by the time I finally separated myself from the church to basically say, oh, you cannot participate in those sacraments simply because of something that had been done in the past. Uh, seems kind of hypocritical for the message and the... And the well, how long were you disfellowship for? I was disfellowship for nine years. So, so Nathan, um, Mm. to make sure that I understand kind of what you're saying correctly, um, I mean, obviously you would like the church to change its core doctrines, but I think what you're saying is that the church needs to just be more welcoming, just more acknowledging of, you know, homosexuals or whoever's going to come and say, hey, you're welcome to um, fellowship with us, which I think Mike is trying to say in his own roundabout way that that's the way it is in the church, but I I would tend to think that... um, you know that they're not going to be very comfortable with you being around. Well, I've got I've got something here on my list. It's from Stephen, um, another emailer that um, sent us some unsolicited advice, and he says that until you change the DNC one thirty two, stop attacking others for their non traditional lifestyles. How stupid is it to attack others for their non traditional marriages when your history and true belief is polygamy? Good point. <laughs> I don't think the two are comparable. I think it's absolutely They are comparable. comparable. Yeah, they're both weird ways of marrying, right? No. Nate, did you have any uh, others? Uh, any other piece of advice? I actually did one uh, one more. Okay. My advice would be for the church to, to come clean, open up its background, look at its, you know, and, and be more forthcoming. Stop trying to hide documents from researchers and historians because eventually either through other sources or through the courts they're going to they're going to be forced to show their hand and when that does they could lose a lot of people and when it's when it's revealed how much they're hiding Uh, you know i i agree with you in principle but suppose they really did suppose you know they call the press conference and uh uh, Elder Iring got up and was kind of weepy and, you know, apologized and said, you know, we're sorry. And they started laying out the litany of things that have been sort of buried. I mean, that, that everybody knows about. Yes, Joseph was marrying other men's wives. And yes, this happened and that happened, that happened. Wouldn't that destroy the church? No. I, I look at, as an example, uh, I look at the Community of Christ, uh, formerly the reorganized church of, uh, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A lot of the things that they've done in the last 15 years has included uh, basically calling the Book of Mormon an historic document rather than script. I mean, they still consider it somewhat scripture, but not divinely translated. Uh, it has a sh- has been a shrinking church, but it hasn't disappeared. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I don't know if that's such a good example. I mean, they've been hemorrhaging membership and have splinter groups, and you know they're going through an internal crisis. But yeah, I mean, you're right; they, they're still there. They haven't they haven't died. Uh, the, I, I would definitely say that the church would reach would, would change. There would be a lot of changes uh, brought up with this type of transparency. But hopefully, it would be able to lead the church into a direction where it becomes more faith based and less secrecy. 
I think that's a rational suggestion. What part of the church archives aren't available? I mean, how, how much do you really think they're hiding? All right, I mean, the, the minutes of the Council of Fifty. Well, there's that. There's also some of the diaries of the early apostles. Oliver Cowdery's History of the Church. Correct. There's a number of items that have... Uh, they're, just, they're just not available in any other source except in the church historians or the First Presidency's vault, even. Yeah, I just I listened to a lot of Van Van Halen. He's talked about he spent nine years and they let him look at anything he wanted to for nine years, rummaging all through kinds of papers. Oh bull! <laughs> um, the, the, you know the church. Look look at what happened with um, look at what happened with um, Hoffman, right? Hoffman was in negotiation with the church. The church was going to buy the McClellan diaries, right? Correct. For a large sum of money, they were in the vault. The church doesn't even know what's in the vault. <laughs> So well, it's 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 arguable about what we can say, what the church knows or doesn't know what's in the vault. However, with using the the Mark Hoffman experience, it does show that the church is seeking to hide those parts of the past, its past, but it doesn't want to become common knowledge. But I mean, eventually, these things are going to come out. We have a great new technology that is permeating every bit of our society called the internet. Is going to allow a lot of this information to come forward a lot faster. Eventually, somebody's going to get this information. It might be somebody working within that office who's decided to take advantage of some of this technology, maybe photograph or microfilm some of the documents in there, and eventually it's going to come forth. So why not nip it in the bud, you know, beat them to the punch, so to speak? Okay. Um, so, Nathan, I'll give you the, your choice. Um, we've been Let's through your number two. <laughs> you can uh, you can either stick around if you'd like, uh, uh, or you can uh, say goodbye. Your choice. Uh, I'll stick around a little bit if that's okay with the rest of the group. That's fine. Okay, Niall, um, you have a list uh, of unsolicited advice from one of our listeners. You you want to go through that? Yeah, uh, I got a wonderful trans uh, transmission from Kevin. Uh, he's co he's covered several of the points we've already hit on. Um, but here's a few more that he threw out here. Uh, focus, less, focus less on temple rites and genealogy and more on service to fellow man and strengthening wards to increasingly help all members and the community. And this one, I wish I had thought of this because really you've got a, lim you've got a finite amount of resources, correct? And how, how, how many church resources are being spent on temples, temples and genealogy? when it could be going to feed the feed, support, strengthen the living. That reminds um, me of a, an article that was that was put out in the common press. I, I'd have to look around for it, but I do remember there being a, uh, a comparison between what the church has spent in humanitarian outreach, especially with the, the Haitian earthquake and other things, and what the church has spent on the the retail centers that they've been developing downtown and kind of the disparity there. If, oh, you, hey, call, if you do CFR, I'd have to go look for it, but that's something that brings to mind, but I definitely... But going think. back to the, the temple um, ceremonies and spending time and money and effort on that, I can see why, the, why they would do that, because to them it's the same thing. Living or dead, they're still God's children, and they still need um, help to get to salvation, so... From their perspective, it makes total sense. 
You know, the the problem I have with this, and we see this theme through a lot of these pieces of advice, is if you can sum up all this advice saying strip away everything that's distinctively Mormon and just become another Protestant church. <laughs> uh, there's, there's something kind of lost in that. I mean, you know, if you if you gut the temple work out of it, um, I don't know. Uh, the, the temples are kind of what make Mormon Mormons. Well, also in the temple, you you covenant that you're going to give all that you have to to build up the church and support your community, and they have the the, the uh, fast offerings thing and every tithing slip. And I know they just got a letter from the first presidency. They said you're not supporting fast offerings properly. You need to to give more to these things. Well, and I wasn't going to say this, Mike, but now you've oh you, now you pushed me into that corner. Um, <laughs> one of the <laughs> problems with temples and genealogy in particular. And this is the thing that makes Mormonism a little bit cult-like, is there's so much that they want you to do that temples become important in keeping people busy um, so they don't have time for anything else. And genealogy is that, that way. And that keeps Mormons feeling guilty because there's always something they're not doing because you could always do more genealogy. The problem with saying, okay, Mormons have a tithing slip where they can give um, fast offerings. That tithing slip is full. And there's a lot of things that you have to give, and it's I think it's a little bit um, over the top to say, hey, you know, Mormons can always give more because they're giving so much money, so much time, so much of everything. Right. But All right, well, uh, moving on to the next one. Uh, missionary force, uh, refocus them onto welfare and aid human—aid human, uh, all of humankind, foreign and domestic— and uh, you know, to give props to the church, it seems like they are sort of trying to realign uh, a good part of the missionary force to do just that. So perhaps I, in the future they'll continue. I've noticed that too. Uh, I, as an anecdote, as an evidence, a anecdotal story, uh, I had a friend who had just returned from a service mission, a non-proselytizing service mission. Uh, he's a young man, and. This had called into con. Uh, I'd asked my bishop at the time, you know, what what the difference between a service mission and a proselytizing mission is. And he said, "Well, there are there's, there are some whose strengths are best for reaching out and, and bringing God's children home, and the others are for those who are able to lead by example." I don't recall in my youth any service mission, so maybe this is an, an example, again purely anecdotal of this change in focus. Yeah, I, th I think it's there. And I, I, when I was a missionary, we had the four hours a week um, thing where you were required to do four hours of non-proselyting service. Um, although I know some mission presidents, including one of mine, said that's just so you can fool people into uh, <laughs> into doing proselyting. <laughs> he, he didn't say it that way, but he wanted us to use the four hours to try to get proselyting contacts. Anyway, uh, but one thing I was going to say is that Actually, missionaries do a lot more service than they ever get credit for because missionaries run out of proselyting work to do, and when they run out of proselyting work, they oftentimes do a lot of service. So I think there is a lot of service built in the church doesn't get credit for, um, but I, I understand the advice. For my family, when we lived up in Upper Michigan, we had a lot of missionaries that did a lot of service for our family. We, we fed them a lot of meals, but they, they did help us out a lot when we needed help. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. One one point that might be brought up is the differences between the LDS missionaries and other Protestant missionaries is the focus of the mission. 
Uh, a lot of these other churches, the mission has been humanitarian, um, building up communities in other parts of the world, whereas the LDS church and other similar proselytizing churches, it's been you know, feeding the sheep, so to speak. Yeah, um, and you know, Mormons oftentimes get unfavorably compared to, say, the Catholics who have given up carte blanche, pretty much all proselyting. But you also have to cut the church a little slack in that they're a young church. They're only 200 years old. So, I mean, the Catholics did their fair share of proselyting the world, and they've only quit probably because it doesn't do any good anymore. Um, so, you know, if you're a young church, you, you, you should get a grace period, right, when you can go send missionaries out? Well, granted, but these, you know, we do have, what, about 12 to 15 million members. <laughs> oh, so oh, what, sorry, how yeah. much grace period is allowed here? <laughs> as much as they need. Yeah, there we go. Uh, all right. Niall? Uh, it, this this one's actually a really good idea. Create create a different uh, session of church on a different day or different night of the week to address advanced doctrines or history of the church. You could probably, I would suspect, incorporate this into the inoculation. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, uh, I don't even think they'd have to do it. You know, they when I last when I was going to church, I don't know if they still do this. They had a class for new members where they taught out of gospel essentials. Then they had the regular gospel doctrine class, so they could but do the same thing. They didn't have an advanced one. Regular is pretty basic. Yeah. Now, in the, in the old days, guess, they used to have um, the Know Your Religion series where they had lectures come around on Sunday nights, and I think they killed that. So th there's ways to do it. Um, well, anybody that teaches gospel doctrine, you can do anything you want to the lesson. I mean, you just have to cover. The topics they ask you to cover, but you can add or take away anything you want. Not according to the book. <laughs> not according to I, Packer. I, not no, my list today, the first third of it wasn't even in the manual. I just made it up. <laughs> you know, the last year I taught as a gospel doctrine teacher, we actually got a letter, and I wish I'd kept it. I, I don't have it. That the bishop handed me from the church it was a circular, a big, a big letter, and it it even forbade you from using ensigns that were older than the last year. Really? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I said, wow. you know, don't use the ends in more than last year's, you know. So I think they try to hem those teachers in pretty tight. Huh. One, one point though, do we really need yet another meeting? I mean, we're looking at three-hour <laughs> blocks plus however much in the week. Well, you could skip the other ones if you're going to the advanced, right? Yeah, the advanced one. You only have to go to church <laughs> one hour instead of three. You've done. Oh, your... heck yeah! You're on the fast track. <laughs> you know, I might actually come back just for that. Mm. <laughs> I probably would. Okay, well, uh, most of the rest of his were already touched on. A um, couple quick other ones is have a, have a night uh, for parenting advice and other community events. Now, we've, we've, I think they've got the community events pretty well nailed, uh, but parenting advice, that's not a bad idea. Well, come to Relief Society because that's, <laughs> okay. that's where that comes in. All right. Okay. Um, uh, don't take a stand on civil. Don't take civil stances on abortion or gay rights. Um, just teach love, and condemn judgment. Which I think is kind of funny to phrase it that way. Condemn judgment. Condemn judgment. Yeah. <laughs> to go back to that last one, we're supposed to be involved in our communities and doing more, but don't speak out on important issues. Is that what they want? It yeah. Just don't. Okay. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. If it's beyond, if it's beyond the pay grade, then it's beyond the pay grade. I, I think churches are probably within their rights, in my worldview, to talk on things like abortion and homosexuality. 
but they've got to be willing to um, pay the piper, as it were, you know, own it. And um, I don't like, I don't like the churches. Um, I even think it's okay for churches to participate in the political realm, but I don't like when they participate in the political realm and then claim special deference because they're a church. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna deal with politics, you're gonna be dealt with like a like a lobby. If you're gonna deal with church stuff, you're gonna be dealt with like a church. So, um, but where do you put the line? Um, where do I put the line? He doesn't. Yeah. Put, he's just saying that they have to. If they're going to dish it out, they need to be willing to accept criticism for that. Correct. Yeah, the church. You know, let's let's you know talk about like the Prop Eight stuff. Um, first of all, I think the church did some underhanded things trying to hide money and trying to force influence on religious grounds, which I think were probably marginally unethical, but probably not immoral. I mean, or probably not illegal. Um, but more so, the, what bothered me was the church doing all of its um, Prop 8 stuff, and then trying, when people, um, you know, political debating is much more heated and much more interactive, and you're going to get protests and that sort of thing. Then the church claiming, oh, you, you can't say this to us because we're a church, we're within our, our, our special... Um, bubble of uh leave us alone and i don't you think that bigots, exists yeah calling bigotry after you uh stepped into the ring right every uh, room i'm reminded here of dnc section 134.9 where it says <laughs> uh, we do not believe it just to mingle religious influence with civil government uh, but if they were to do it they could do it as uh, other other churches have done to create lobby groups that are separate and supported, but separate from the corporation of the first presidency, like the uh, coalition for the for the uh, coalition for the religious right. I can't remember what it's called, but you know what I mean. The keeping it separate, something like kind of, although I don't support it, kind of what they did in California. Yeah, I, I think Proposition eight. in California, I, I, I've seen um, a lot of people who felt that they were required to participate in Prop 8, where they didn't feel comfortable with it because of their church leaders, and that's where the church has to be a little bit separate. But more importantly, I think the church just needs to be willing to deal with the consequence of its actions. Look, it's going to be it's going to look stranger and stranger as the years go by, the church's position on, on homosexuality and the intolerance of these sort of relationships. Yeah, it's such a new idea that these things are wrong. Where did that come from? No, that's that's not what's new. That's old hat. What? We're dealing with a new... Um, we're, we're dealing with the present time where a lot of people don't think that's so evil. And they're wrong. Well, that's old hat. I mean, that's that's tradition. God needs to get hip with the times? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like he did oh, with the right. blacks. Yeah, exactly. That's a totally different thing. <laughs> That's a it, wa different it wasn't thing. in the 19, early 1900s. It wasn't a totally different thing. Is homosexuality a family, a bloodline? Well, well it, John and I are not a bloodline, but we're family. Excuse me. <laughs> Say that again? I uh, mean, how? what do you mean, are they a bloodline? There was a time for the Judah to carry the priesthood. Then there was a time for it to go to the Gentiles. And then there was a time for it to go to the lineage of Ham. It was their time to receive it. Zilpha, don't feed oh, the I'm bears. I'm sorry. All right. Um, <laughs> Niall, do you have any, any others? I just want to thank Kevbo for his uh, suggestions. They're very good. All right. Thanks, Kevin. 
Okay, I've got a um, audio I'm going to play. This was uh, this was called in by our good friend Perry, and he's got some advice. This is the first of three uh, bits of advice from Perry to the church. First, give up the control. Um, we've been taught since we were very young that it was Satan's plan to force people to be good. Go ahead and apply free agency to all members. Let people make their own mistakes. People learn more by making a mistake than they do by blindly following someone else's advice. When they follow someone else's advice, like the bishop or the state president, when it's a matter of great importance, such as possibly getting divorced or not getting divorced, or areas of where they really don't have the training to do such, if they take the advice of their bishop or their state president, if things turn out bad, rather than taking personal responsibility for that decision, they're going to blame in their own head, if nothing else, the bishop or the state president that gave them the bad advice. People learn best when they make their own decisions and make their own mistakes. They learn more from making a mistake than they do by blindly following someone else's advice. That is by first item of advice to the church. Piece of advice number two from Perry. Sell the CHI, the Church Handbook of Instruction, at the Church Distribution Center, or at Deseret Book for that matter. Members need to know the rules of the game for which they're playing. They need to know if their bishop is doing things properly. Uh, we don't want to look like the Catholic Church who used to change the Bible and had it written in Latin where no one could read it or understand it and chain the Bible to the pulpit so that the only ones having access to information, if the priest was doing what he said was right and doing what the Bible told him to do, by chaining it to the pulpit. By chaining the church handbook of instruction to the bishop's desk, who's going to feel comfortable going to the bishop and saying, I need to look at the church handbook of instructions. I'm going to look through some pages for the next 15, 20 minutes and take some notes. You just can keep, keep doing your work, and I'm just going to take some notes right here, okay? Especially if they think that the bishop is not doing something according to the regulations of the church, they're not going to feel comfortable going into the bishop's office and borrowing the church handbook of instructions and sitting down next to him and taking notes about what he's doing wrong. Everyone in the church should know what the rules are that govern the church. Sell it at Deseret Books. That's my advice to a church who does not want to look like the Catholic Church in what, in one respect whatsoever. This is Perry's third piece of advice to the church. And that is, if a person has a question and they take it to their bishop, the chain of authority, the line of command, and they don't get an answer or they feel like the bishop doesn't have an answer or um, the bishop just doesn't give them a satisfactory answer. Maybe not the answer they want, but a satisfactory answer. You go to the state president, he doesn't seem to know the answer to the question either. A person should know or should be able to easily go to the next line step up in the chain of command and have a meeting with the bishop and the state president and the next person 
in in the line of command, whether that's a regional representative or area president, whatever they're called now. And all three of them sit down with the other person and have that person ask the question and get an answer. If the regional rep or area rep, whatever they're called, doesn't have a good answer, then take those people up to the next level with that person there. Rather than having them pass it second or third hand, have them be able to ask the question and get an answer. Because there are times when a state president or someone in the chain of authority either doesn't know or they're blocking or filtering the information you want to have an answer to. And that is not a good system. It's not, uh, it, it does not seem like the way that a church organization based on free agency and based on freedom of expression and a, a religion that has the truth to act that have to have levels of filters before you can get answers to your question. Um, that's my third piece of advice, and I enjoyed the podcast. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks, Perry. Um, so Perry's advice, I, I really particularly like um, his advice on the church handbook of instruction. I, I think it's basically unforgivable for them to well, unforgivable is probably strong. It's it's not right for them to hide that manual from the members. Um, and the funny is there's nothing in it. <laughs> uh, there's plenty in it you can use against the church. I mean, there's things that make them look silly. Um, but I mean, that's probably a discussion for another day. But if there's nothing in it, Mike, then why not just like Perry says, sell it at Deseret Book and sell it at the uh, distribution center? <laughs> I don't know who would buy it. <laughs> uh, well, I would. Anything that doesn't sell, they move off the shelf. Well, there's, I mean, there's nothing not in it. It's gets general guidelines on how to operate. It's yeah, it's and that boring. needs to be known. So they distribute everything else. I mean, the, the church has special rules about distributing that book. So you're just saying, I mean, I don't think you're playing a straight when you're just saying, oh, it's just because it's boring. That's not the reason the church doesn't distribute it. They don't want it distributed. Is it, is it, who's allowed to see it officially? Well, according to the Church Handbook of Instructions, <laughs> which you could only see if you had a copy of it, members of the church can see it in the bishop's office. They can ask to look at it, and the bishop can show them it, and they can write down things out of it. But it's not allowed to be distributed to anybody other than the as a matter of fact, for example, high councilmen are not allowed to have a copy of it. The bishopric can have a copy of it. Um, the the stake presidency can have a copy of it. But it explicitly, it explicitly states high councilmen are not allowed to have a copy. Why would they do that? It's control. I, it's it's about control. <laughs> it's about who knows what the rules are. The the rules really aren't that useful. Unless you're trying to resign or something like that. Well, that, I mean, that's that's well. Uh, there's there's things like uh, a, a lot of questions that come up. Things about like abortion. Um, you know, they're defined there. In vitro fertilization. Um, things about the church's current policy on um, vasectomies. Even is birth control. There. Yeah. Birth control is discussed in there. Um, things that members have 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 questions on that would be useful for them to know about how church how church works, how church courts work. Um, how all that's supposed to happen, you know, um, 
So if you get called in for a disciplinary council, what to expect? Can you bring any witnesses in? All that sort of stuff. That's all defined in that book. Well, thank goodness for WikiLeaks. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a copy of it available out on the internet, but not because the church wants it there. I mean, they're doing everything they can to pull it down. Um, so, so what about uh, Perry's other advice? Um, I don't understand the free agency one. That one had me. Uh, Was that the first? I don't know, one I don't know what he's getting on. Yeah, I, the first one. I agree with him on that one too. Um, so the church has the the principle, the doctrine of of free agency. So let the membership live it. So, so he doesn't, he I, I think doesn't want what he's, counseling. Is that what he's saying? I think what he's getting well, at is that the, the, the people that are trying to give him counsel have not been trained in any way um, to, to give appropriate counsel. So, so when they give counsel and people heed their advice, it may turn out rather badly. And that's what he's saying, that maybe they shouldn't be in that business. Yeah, I think he's mixing more than one thing there in his, in his first one. Um, you know, because he, he was basically saying bishops and the like shouldn't be giving marriage advice, and, and you know, if they're not trained and they don't know what they're doing. Um, that sounds to me like this guy had some real issues that went down, and he's very angry about it still. Yeah, maybe, probably maybe, rightly so. Maybe he does, but um, that doesn't uh, discount the issues. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to delve into Perry's personal life, but yeah, maybe he does have some bad experience here. That doesn't make it any less valuable. Well, the thing, the church leaders are set apart, and if they're doing their job right, they're supposed to be able to receive revelation for those that they're appointed over. So these guys are meant to receive revelation and be counselors in their callings. Mike, if that's, that's true, if, 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 if that's true, why does the church have a law firm? Because there's 15 true, prophets if, 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 running this church who know all this stuff. They have no need for lawyers at all. And if that's true, why do they ask you the questions if you're masturbating? They should look at you and say, uh-huh, I know. Because this isn't the Catholic Church where you think the Pope can walk on water. This is the real world. Okay, well, this sort not of, everybody's sort of always make... as righteous as they should be. Not everybody's Then always they need to have training. training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If if, if 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 that's the case, then send them to training so they can know Leaders how to Leaders do have them. training. It's called de deacons, teachers, priests. Elders. Oh, I, okay, I, I've been to all those quorums. They teach you nothing about advising, say, a, a woman when she's coming talking about sexual problems with her husband. That's all. <laughs> or if it did, I, I, I should not have skipped those words. <laughs> um, Perry's last point was line of command. This is another one that I feel strongly about. Um, we know that people in the church make mistakes. Um, they're probably, hopefully, uncommon, but... When your stake president makes a mistake, you have no recourse. There is no line of appeal in the church. And the brethren say all the time in conference, if you write them a letter, they're just going to send it right back to your bishop. It didn't used to be that way. I think things just got too big. Well, they should uh, have another way of dealing they should, with it. They should it. have a, a way, I think to Perry's point, they should have a way of appealing. If you're, if you're, if your bishop or stake president says something that, that you think is unfair or not right or, or whatever, um, you know, let's say your stake president says the women are no longer allowed to pray in sacrament meeting, right? You, you might think that's silly, but there's nothing you can do about it. We can write to your regional rep, but and they would send the letter back to your leaves. bishop. You know, um, there's no, there's no way. There, there, how would you even know who your regional representative is? Uh, you know, there's no there's no this is not information that's given out, you know. <laughs> well, 
I'm sure there's somewhere you can find out. I don't know what mine is, but I've never had a need to know. Well, uh, you know, and that's I guess that's Perry's point. Okay, hey, uh, uh, John. Yeah, uh, John. Before we continue, uh, Nathan won't be able to continue with us. Yeah, I saw. He sent me a little note. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, thanks to Nathan. Nathan had to drop off. So, um, um, uh, say his, hi, his hi cat was attacking him. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, um, Zilpha, you have the next list. Okay, I'll um, continue with Stephen's advice. Um, okay, so he he starts out by saying that the church should quit attacking people who discover the truth. I'm assuming that he means the truth about the history of the church. He says, I, for one, have given the LDS church over $100,000 and have served in numerous callings, as has my family. My great-great-grandfathers, blah, 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 he, he comes from a long line of people who served in the church. If you don't want enemies, then quit attacking members who leave and quit turning their families and friends against them. Being called an apostate, and so on, may protect the faithful, but it makes enemies and is unwarranted. So that's his first. So basically stop calling people who leave apostates. And Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a big culture uh, in the church of attacking the apostates and the heretics. You, you know, I, I have to, you, you know, a, ch a church that's based completely on authority, that's basically the only thing it's got going for it. How can it get rid of the, how can it get rid of the other? How could it stop being opposed to the outside world and, and retain the authority? Yeah. Uh, well, point. if it's all about authority, then they've got to keep the the harshness against apostates. Well, you also got to have a definition of what an apostate is. I think there's a pretty broad brush that people use on that. Yeah, that's hey, Mike, true. Am I, am I an apostate? Well, you're openly attacking the church. Am I openly attacking the church? Uh, yes. You can. The answer is yes. At times, <laughs> you're an apostate. Okay. Number. He's got another one here. I don't know who um, this person is. Can I mention this? Daniel Peterson. Yeah, he's a okay, public figure. Now, he says, Dan Peterson has hurt the credibility of your religion more than any single person in the last 20 years. His activities should not be supported. LDS apologists who skirt truth are enemies to truth themselves, and your church are, are traitors to mankind. <laughs> <laughs> is that signed by Dr. Scratch? Uh, no. Uh, I, I let's, think let's. He he's just remove. basically saying to stop supporting the apologists financially. Yeah, for some reason, a lot of uh, ex Mormons really like uh, Dr. Peterson down at BYU. Um, has, runs farms. He's a big lightning rod. Obviously, the language there's a little over the top. Um, but you know, I I think I think it's more useful to uh, address the questionable apologetic tactics than bringing up a specific name right because then it becomes about uh dr peterson you know right. dr peterson i feel and this is completely beside the point does deserve the lightning rod status but i also believe he sets himself up as the lightning rod for that purpose he, he's a public figure but um i think i think a lot of uh ex-mormons in the debate lose sight of the fact they're doing just a plain old ad hominem attack and it doesn't really serve anything what it does is it rallies the troops around dr peterson because they see oh he's a really nice guy which he is generally um sometimes he's intelligent which he is generally so the insiders say 
these ex-Mormons attacking Daniel Peterson, they clearly have a biased view and have an axe to grind. Why else would you attack such a nice guy? And it does no service to their cause. They're not winning any battles by attacking Daniel Peterson, especially with a lot of the cheap shots they take all the time with all the jokes about donuts and whatever. It's just moronic and it's sophomoric and it probably should stop. It's not helping anybody. Right. But the apologists um, do tend to uh, try to sugarcoat things, which is disingenuous. And I think that's what he's really got. Oh, yeah. And and, and like like Niall's saying, um, uh, uh, Dr. Peterson ferments this. Um, He uh, he uh, seeks after this sort of attention for some reason. Well, is it because is it he's actively involved, or is it because he, you think he seeks it out? I think he go, he goes way out of his way to hear things, to get people mad. He goes onto boards that he really has no business going onto. Recovery for Mormonism, post-Mormonism, uh, the Shades board. He'll go as far as he can to find somebody to hate him. And uh, really, I think I think the whole... Daniel Peterson dynamic is is way hard to discuss in the few minutes here and and Dr. Peterson is welcome to come on and talk to us about it here at the podcast. And I don't know very much about him so that might be a really good idea. Okay. Well, I think I think he's more of a light rub because he's active more than anything else. It, it could be. And now he it's just like celebrity. D- uh, now Daniel Peterson is famous for being famous. He's famous for being Daniel Peterson. So it's it's gone beyond just whatever it is that started it. Now it's just a self-feeding thing. Okay. Um, for his third piece of advice, Spencer um, says something that's been said before. Immediately follow a path of full disclosure. Um, the fourth one is step down off your pedestals and serve others. That is what leadership really is. Yeah, I don't know exactly what he's referring to there. Yeah. Um, I guess he, he's saying that no man should be treated as superior or claim revelations when they know it doesn't exist. But I, I mean, there's a lot of rank and privilege in the church, obviously, and and, you know, stepping things into order. And of course, the church, because it's a big organization, there's a lot of things people do that are just there to serve the church. They don't really necessarily help their fellow mankind other than it helps the church which vicariously helps people i suppose and people put the leaders in kind of an idle position that that does i mean people like to have things to um worship and look up to and uh so that 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 does happen a lot yeah just just to be clear do you have you ever known a bishop that wasn't very busy and very involved in serving. And I don't think he's talking people. to, he's talking to the brethren, the quote brethren. He's not talking about the bishops here. And in all, all well, I think it's the same thing. They're, those, I mean, those guys are so active and involved in doing things constantly. It's hard to say what they do. I mean, they, they maybe they do. I, I, I mean, frankly, I, I've been around the church a long time. I have no idea what the brethren do all day long. Not a clue. I know they write talks that they give every six months. Um, I know there's a great big tall building and Salt Lake City is full of people doing something. Um, and they travel. They travel quite a bit. They tell stories. And I, I don't mean this in a negative sort of way. I'm honestly saying I have no idea what they do all day long. Because as a member, I didn't have any like dealing with them. Um, all the dealings I had were either with a mission president or a stake president or a bishop. Um, they would come breezing into state conferences every so often and give talks and leave. I, I, I don't know what their duties are. So 
you know, may, maybe if they made that a little bit more clear that they're out like, uh, you know, pulling weeds in Zanzibar, we, we would know that they were serving their, <laughs> their fellow man. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what they do. Okay. Here's a guy. He's got another one. Uh, this one actually seems like a good idea. Teach new converts the truth about what happens in the temple. There's no good reason for giving half truth. Or I guess in, he's saying, you know, give some more um, preparation for temple um, ceremonies before you actually go there. Well, don't they have whole classes? Yeah, but they don't talk about and... they don't talk about the ceremonies in there. They they talk about being spiritually prepared. They don't talk about what actually happens. Yeah, if you read all the official stuff, you know, like Boyd K. Packer's template, his Boyd K. Packer's pamphlet that the church still distributes, and his book on the temple, um, it's really really vague. It. it it doesn't really prepare you for what is about to happen. I, I agree with this one. They should be much more explicit in saying what you're going to do. You know, there's a point very early on in the in the endowment ceremony when it says, if you don't want to do this, get up and leave now. And I think most people are saying, what? Uh, um, do I get up and leave? I don't know what you're telling me to get up and leave about, you know. And you have, you have to know you have to know if you're getting up and leaving before the, the goat sacrifice or before the big orgy. Yeah. Totally different. <laughs> but Jeez. It, it, it can it, be a real big shocker to people and it, and it's not really fair to like push put them into that pressure cooker. Not I mean it's not that bad, but it there's pressure there and you're you're supposed to make these covenants under this pressure and it's not exactly a fair way of of having somebody go about making covenants with God. And let's be honest, there's some things that happen in the temple that they're not to like what Niall was just saying. He was joking. There's some things that happen in the temple that most people would strike them as a little bit strange, a little bit different than what they're used to. They're not all that crazy, but they are a little a little bit off off the wall. So I think a lot of people, when they're presented with that, there's a certain shock factor that if they were prepared for that, they might be able to have a more religious experience. Now I know I have people I know who say that it was very religious, the first, a very spiritual experience, the first time they went to the temple. For me, it wasn't that way. For others, it's somewhere in between. But yeah, I, I think the members could be much better prepared in general to go into the temple. Uh, two words for you, John. Second anointing. <laughs> it's coming. We'll talk about it s- sooner or later. Okay. Um, yeah, I was trying to find a David McKay quote on this. It's really good. Um, Wait, oh, this sorry. isn't from last year's Enzyme, is it? <laughs> no, this kidding. is a... <laughs> Okay. Do you remember when you first went through the house of the Lord? I do, and I went out disappointed. Just a young man out of college anticipating great things when I went to the temple. I was disappointed and grieved, and I have met hundreds of young men and young women since who have had that experience. I have now found out why. There are two things in every temple, mechanics to set forth certain ideals and symbolism, what those mechanics symbolize. I saw only the mechanics when I first went through the temple. I did not see the spiritual. I did not see the symbolism of spirituality. I was blind to that, to the great lesson of purity behind the mechanics. I did not hear the message of the, of the Lord. How many of us young men saw that? We, we thought we were big enough and with intelligence sufficient to criticize the mechanics of it, and we were blind to the symbolism, the message of the Spirit. And then that great ordinance, the endowment. The whole thing is simple in the mechanical part of it, but sublime and eternal in its significance. And he, he recounted a similar conversation he had with his niece, that it, it, when you go through the first time, yeah, there's a lot to take in. 
But as you read what the brethren have said and what the scriptures say, and you really seek out what it is that's taught there, you just don't ever stop learning as you go through the temple. Okay, but just by the fact that he had to come and, and say that makes it clear that there should be a little bit more preparation before you go in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that quote kind of supports the uh, the um, Stephen's issue here. And, and um, you know, here's an example. In the temple, none of this is, is secret, um, for most of the temples, they... they during the ceremony, you move from kingdom to kingdom, from the celestial to the terrestrial kingdom, and it, they change it by dimming, the, switching the lights. Well, that's right. a new thing. In the old temples, you actually got up and moved from one room to the other. I had been to the temple for years, for four or five years, maybe longer than that, before I ever went to um, Salt Lake Temple, where they still do live sessions where you move from room to room. I never got the lights. It never, it never registered with me. I, I never understood that. I never noticed it um, until I went through that temp, that other temple. Then it was like, oh, now I understand. And just because nobody ever said that, you know. And it's, it's something that if you open up Boyd K. Packer's pamphlet, they have the pictures. It says the telestial room, the terrestrial room, the creation room. You know, it has those in there. They could just like put two and two together and again I give you a uh, okay, this is basically what happens. Well there's a lot that can be said about the temple outside of the temple. We might not have, like you said, we talked before about doing a podcast on it. Yeah, if the church is not gonna do it, maybe we should. We're uh, coming up the Mormon Expression Guide to the first time temple attender. Temple for dummies? Yeah, why not? All right. All right. So okay. <laughs> then he then he's got the, the DNC one thirty two, don't attack others for their non traditional lifestyles. And then he's got grow a personality. <laughs> People who want watch, watch conference either sleep or feel like they're hearing the same things over and over in the same recited monotone way. Jesus was dynamic, he says. You know, he, he's he's got a good point. I was listening to on um, the church's official radio station slash podcast, and they were doing an interview with um, Dallin Oaks. Wonderful interview. Everybody should listen to it because he comes across a much more human. And he even talks about this problem and the enormous pressure the brethren must feel because they know that everything they say from conference, people are going to take as the very word of God. And I think that's what sort of makes it very vanilla and very banal. And, and, but I think a lot of the brethren are much more dynamic, much more intelligent, much more compassionate then they come across in per, in uh, in conference and i think that's a good piece of advice they 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 just look like bankers up there in their dark suits and white shirts and all sitting from their chairs with dour looks on their face and i know that's not what they are and if they could find a way to break through that bust down those um teleprompters and just start talking from the heart i think man they'd probably re-energize the church and there's a few that stand out Ukdor stands out and holland stands out i agree and I, I think you get a lot more of that well, what is it? The old days, they just get up and say whatever they wanted without having to get everything pre-approved and run through the what, – what's the word I'm looking for? Who's the guy that reads you all the time? Correlation. Correlation. Thank you. It, it'd almost be nice to see that correlation go away. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I've got two more from Stephen. Um, apologize to blacks for past bigotry. Yeah, that's a good one. Great one. And then, apologize to the gays, too. <laughs> While you're at it, well, they'll, well, they'll have to come that. to that eventually. They're not erased. No, they're not erased yet, are they? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, and then the last one 
we have is President Hinckley lied to the world with his largest audience ever on Larry King. He both denied the belief that man can become God and denied Joseph Smith started polygamy. Correct this by stating the truth on national television. How is... What? I... What? Well, I think What's he's... What's that going to do? Oh, you mean the apology? Yeah. No, I... the, the... Yeah, he lied. What? Why would they do that? That's... No. I vote against that one. <laughs> we, we, yeah, but... Okay. I, I vote against the um, admitting it on national television, but I, I'll never quite understand why he made those statements. And then what what is... Let, what is left to the church membership to understand about um, about the doctrine of becoming gods? Well, you you have to take everybody always talks about that, but they forget about the um, conference session right afterwards, which is Hinckley got up in conference. Was it the priesthood session? And he said, "There's an interview coming out." I think it because I think the interview aired on Sunday night. It was on sixty minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, "There's an interview coming out tonight," um, and he said something to the effect of that, that it I might misquoted. it might sound like I don't understand the doctrines, but trust me, I understand them. And everybody laughed. He he basically said gave an inside wink to the church, saying, yeah, "I know what I'm talking." Why wouldn't he about. say that to the because he was talking to the world. world? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, every organization does inside and outside talk, you know. Oh, it doesn't and make the church sense to has me. a history of lying to the outside world what they believe on the inside. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I don't believe in dishonesty. I, I mean, Mike, you chuckle, but we we have recorded instances. You know, I don't know why the world says I have more than one wife when I only see one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was from Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. It's good advice. Uh, obviously, still a little upset at the church. I understand. A little bit that. bitter, yeah. All right, um, let's see, Mike. Here's... What was that now? Nothing. I was going to say, here's to Stephen. Okay. Represent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is from Hymn uh, 331. Uh, Elder Oaks, lighten up, she says. Um, For Elder Holland, you can't straddle both sides of the fence. You, you tell Helen Whitney that doubters are welcome, then you condemn them in general conference. I think uh, she's referring to uh, the PBS Mormonism broadcast where he, he probably mentioned Helen Whitney in that. Yeah, Helen Whitney was the was the director of that, and um, um, you know, in one of the interviews, he was saying, "Yeah, people are, are welcome," and she's saying it's duplicitous. Okay, uh, for Julie Beck, so many women don't fit in the mold. You should try to reach them too. Now, you want to give us the history on the Julie Beck uh, talk? Well, Julie Beck was the was she the Relief Society president? I don't I can't remember. Um, and she gave a talk two or three years ago, um, basically telling the women to uh, uh, fill their role and start, you know, um, filling Being the traditional home. sort of uh, stay-at-home mother role, and that they should find happiness in that. And it it caused sort of a stir among the more feminist M Mormons, and of course the ex-Mormons jumped all over it. Um, I think that's what. Uh, uh, she's referring to. Yeah, she was a she's a Relief Society president. Um, so what was the advice? Was it was basically be moms and and, and no stop, no I uh, mean from from your emailer. Oh, so many women don't fit in the mold. You should try to reach them too. Oh okay. 
That, so for that's all the, fair. Of the church that don't want to be moms. Yeah. Yeah. The name of the talk was called Mothers Who Know. Um, and it was at, uh, at LDS conference and it was on womanhood and she, she really kind of ruffled a lot of feathers with it. Good for her. <laughs> uh, for President Monson, thank you for nicely short first presidency message in March. No widows, no cookies, no alliterative lists. It was refreshing. Uh, for Elder Marlon Jensen, and, your and hearts were tutor. touched and people hearts were fed. Were <laughs> uh, this one I like. For iron rod bishops and stake presidents, learn to accommodate your Leahona members. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Wait, do you want to clarify what Leahona yeah, and iron rod are? Yeah, because I don't even know uh, what that is. This is an old uh, division um, in the church, an old model that goes back from a Sunstone article or, or dialogue article from 20 or 30 years ago. Basically saying there's two types of members in the church. There's the iron rod type who hold strict to the, the teachings um and you know they're cur- they're fo- currently known as McConkeyites. Follow the brethren exactly, and then there's people who more have a Leahona, and the Leahona was more sort of rather than an iron rod which doesn't move. The Leahona in the Book of Mormon was a compass that sort of points in the right direction, and so it was a distinction between the the liberals and the more conservatives. There's always been that tension there where the liberals are saying, you know, cut the liberals a little bit more slack. People who might want to interpret the church a little bit more differently and not take it down the the, the strict view. Okay. Yeah, iron rodders all the way. Uh, for Elder Bednar, Woo, go team. <laughs> for Elder Bednar, we don't need another Elder Packer. I don't see Elder Bednar as a Packer at all. Do you? He gives some of the best talks at conference. Bednar, I, I don't. Uh, I was going to say I don't think he's as smart as Elder Packer, but that's probably not very nice. Elder Packer <laughs> always viewed as the hardliner, but I don't see Elder. I don't know. I don't get that. Bedner's a little bit of a more hardliner, but hey, I, I like Boyd Packer. I think he's a, I, I think he's great. Yeah, I think he's great too. Uh, for Elder Scott, victims are victims. Do you know what that's about? No, I don't either. Uh, Could it be? Uh, I don't know if it was Scott or who. Who was it that tried to assign blame to rape victims on the victims? That sounds kind of familiar, but I don't. I can't talk on it. That might have been Kimball. We'll have to have this person uh, make a comment and clarify that one. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna skip a few. For Elder Ugdorf, you're a to- total breath of fresh air. Agreed. <sighs> Elder, Elder Ugdorf's a lot of fun. He gives some great talks. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's he, he was a good move. It's sorry they went the Quentin Cook route after that. I thought, you know. There's a recent one in New BYU Talks called A Reflection in the Water that's very good if people want to listen to it. Uh, and to all the brethren and sister, please tell all spouses not to divorce their unbelieving and or disaffected partners. Amen. Alienation and divorce are not the answer. Agreed. That's a good one. Agreed. Now, you, we just covered that in a recent podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, with the uh, our friends from Faces East. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh I don't. I guess we don't need to say anything more about it tonight, but that's a that's a good topic. Yeah, definitely. Um, the last piece of advice we got um, was from our friend Elizabeth, and uh, she says, um, "I would give the church advice to change their handling of name removal. Having most of the steps in the hands of local leaders lends itself to abuse. There is nothing in place to make sure that things are being handled properly. It took us around ten months with several letters and phone calls to resign." Yeah, I've heard that one come up, and this goes to somewhat to Perry's complaint, you know, that uh, the church says it's a local matter for local ecclesiastical officials, and they don't know what they're doing, 
So they tend to bungle it quite a bit. Um, and um, oftentimes it takes threats from lawyers to get them to move on it. Or, or you get local authorities who still want to excommunicate people who resign, which is illegal. Um, so, yeah, it's a good one, Elizabeth. So I have a question. If if somebody gets called for a, um, this doesn't have to be on the podcast, but if somebody gets called in for like a, a council and they've basically not been going to church um, and they haven't resigned, can they resign before they then go to the council? Yes. According to the Supreme Court of the United States, if you are a member of a voluntary organization like a church, as soon as you say, I am no longer a member, you are no longer a member. So you can walk into the council, hand them your resignation, and walk out. And they can't do anything else. True. Okay. Just wondering. Um, they'll try, but they'll lose if you go to court. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll settle. So just remember, if they do it to you, you probably get you know ten or $20,000 to go play with. Well, what about well, you guys? Show the pot, man. What about you guys? Do you have any other advice? Uh, Mike, you said something before we started that was good advice. Oh, I, I'm not, a, I'm not an arc steadier. I'm just saying I, I would like to see an official book put out on uh, the doctrine of polygamy, uh, and explaining this is how it all works. Yeah, and I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, that's good advice. How many times do you pull up these anti websites or whatever, and everybody's crying about polygamy? You no, know, just to have a book, to, a go-to book to say this is what it was. Well, uh, what about what, DNC 132? I mean, it's pretty clear you can take concubines. <laughs> it's, right, it's right there in the scriptures, right? Well, he he means he, he needs a one. he needs a clarification because that might not be what he wants to hear on oh, the yeah, subject. I agree. No, that'd be a good chapter. What about you, Niall? Advice for the church? Oh. You know, I, I think the best thing the church could do would be to take all of its properties, its malls, its uh, holdings, its temples, its churches, and sell them all. Disband <laughs> the leadership, release the membership, and uh, completely cease to exist. <laughs> no, hang on, hang on. <laughs> oh, there's more. <laughs> yeah. By doing so, you can free Mormonism to grow in the way that it was meant to grow. Because if you look, you look at evangelical Christianity, they are they stick to the doctrines, they stick to the Bible, and and there's ranges, but it's pretty close to whoa, whoa. what it's supposed to be. Hang on, let me finish. You have a prophet, you have lineage, you have priesthood authority. Lead by example. Let people start their own wards. Let people start their own stakes. Let people call themselves on missions. Let people listen to God directly. Stop trying to own the atonement. Stop trying to own your members. The church, if it cares about Mormonism, it cares about Christ, needs to go away. It needs to disband and cease to exist. Well, that's not as crazy as I thought it was. <laughs> Sounded pretty crazy this, to me. This leads to uh, the podcast I was recommending that we do uh, on what priesthood authority is and how it operates. A priesthood for dummies, maybe, because the whole entire purpose of the gospel is to bring people into covenants with Christ. No, someone has to officiate no. in the covenants. Uh -uh. I don't think that's what Jesus was on earth to. Yes, to it was. Do. He says it directly. The whole Go point forth to the and baptize. 
the but whole that wasn't point the point. the gospel is to lead you to Christ. That's it. Through covenants. We are no, saved by grace the through atonement, covenants. The atonement is the whole point of Christianity. It is not the temple. It is not the priesthood. It is not covenants. It is not the church. It is God. It is Christ. And Christ brings love for your fellow man. No. Christ yeah. brought an atonement. That's what Christ came. He came to free us from Pharisees. He didn't come Resu to increase the Pharisees. Resurrection is free. Salvation is brought about through baptism and making covenants with God. God is not a paperwork God. <laughs> hey, you worship your God, I'll worship mine. <laughs> Zilpha? <coughs> I, I was just enjoying that conversation. Um, so I have two, and then I have a, a third one that's not as important as my two. And these two are, if the church does them, I'll come back. And it's here, it's, it's uh, out there for the world. I'll come back if you do these two things. The first one is to drop all hard requirements for getting into the temple. And this um, comes to uh, Perry's, um, Perry's issue. Um, so th they should be guidelines. But there shouldn't be any strict questioning. So people should be able to self-determine if they're worthy to get into the temple or not. Um, so give up the control that the church exercises over the saving ordinances. Do you want to discuss that or you want to list your next one next? Go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and discuss it? Yeah, you can discuss it. If, if you're not keeping your baptismal covenants and you go into the temple... Those things work as a curse as opposed to a blessing. Well, then Very let the well. person have that on their head. Let let them decide. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Zilpha here. Otherwise, what you do is you have yourself, what the church has done is they've set up a situation where you can only be saved by giving the church money, which to me, as a non-Christian, is the antithesis of everything that Jesus taught. The, the church on that stance is in the opposition of what the New Testament is all about. Well, let's look at the New Testament story. When the two came in, and they didn't give a full tithing, and they came before Peter, and he said, why are you withholding? And they were struck dead. Do you remember the story I'm talking about? I know, I, yeah, I know exactly the story you're talking about. But, um, okay, what, what is that? That's not a teaching of Jesus, is it? <laughs> so were, were the apostles not representative of Christ's will? They were speaking as men, not as prophets. Well, okay, so I'm taking the, the teachings of, of Jesus Christ. So the teachings of Jesus Christ appear in the, in the, in the New Testament. That's not one of them. This is the antithesis of what he taught. Um, you could make justification for it, I suppose, uh, uh, but but I think you're setting yourself up as an organization, and we all know that human organizations tend to corrupt themselves. Um, Trading money for saving ordinances. You're, you're, you're is in not the, bo the bottom line. John can subscribe to. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, exactly. You have to pay. That was the Catholics that did that. To, right. Uh, the Catholics and the Mormons, right? So the apostles had gone rogue by the Book of Acts. I mean, I, I, I get my ta I'm doing my taxes. I know exactly how much money I have to pay to get into heaven this year. It's very clear. 10% of your increase. Uh, correct. And so I know who I have to give it to. Debt? Anyway, <laughs> but um, it's, it's, not, it's not about my greed or, or anything like that, although I am greedy. Um, I, I, it's, it's about the church has to give up the control that it has and let the members self-determine. The church has to give up that control. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is they have to give the priesthood to everybody. Um, no longer discriminate um, on who gets the priesthood and who doesn't. Can I hear a woo-woo? So if the church gives the priesthood to all 
human beings um, who, you know, who are of age, uh, that which would largely just include women, right? Because um, the women are still denied the priesthood, and they give up their control over the temple recommend questions. They become guidelines rather than a strict interview. Because once the church does that, they give up their control. Then um, I'm coming back. The third piece about it is a throwaway one, but I would advise it. The church should give back local control to the congregations of their own budgets and their own, um, you know, just everything doesn't need to be administered by that big, tall, and spacious building in Salt Lake City. Um, well, I think the emphasis now is that they're trying to grow the church in third world countries that can't afford to build buildings. Ah, baloney. Yeah, they, they can't I'm, afford to build buildings I except for they, West Salt Lake. Yeah, yeah I, I want to see. Mon- there's money spilling out all over the place. I want to see any proof that that's where they're they're pushing the funds. You know, let me throw this in there just so my opinions known on the matter. Okay, yes. women in the as far as women in the priesthood go, women create an environment that the ordinances can be sealed in by the Holy Ghost. The men make the ceilings, but the women bring in the Holy Ghost to, so that the ceilings stick because no priesthood ordinance is complete without the seal of the Holy Ghost upon it. And women create an environment for the Holy Ghost to dwell in while men go out and, and do the ordinances. Wow, okay. I've never heard wait, that wait, argument wait, before. Fine, but that doesn't preclude them from doing the other things. Why can't they do both? Yeah. Yeah, why can't a man bring the Holy Ghost into the damn house? <laughs> they're yeah. expected to lead lead that way, but um, men aren't home all the time because they're out breadwinning. Um, some not, men not are. for everybody. That's a very broad generalization. What if you're you're divorced and a single dad? What if your wife is dead? Then go to the singles ward and get married. What if one wife doesn't know about the other? Uh, Then (laughs) you've got more problems than we can go into here. Uh, Anyway, we can come up with scenarios all all day long. I I, I think the church would benefit greatly. And actually, I think once they announce that, the hardliners, 5 or 10% of the church would quit and go, join the FLDS or something, and everybody else would be greatly relieved. Most people and that's would the same feel thing. the same way they did about the blacks. Yeah, that's the same thing that happened in 1978. You know, the the the, the nuts left the church, and the, everybody else was, was grateful. And the same thing would happen. The church would be much better off to have, you know, women up there on the stand leading the congregations. It, 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 would, it, would, it would do such immense good to the church um, that it's just hard to even believe that they, they, they don't even consider it. And we know that according to um, a lot of the apologists and, and some of the brethren, the only reason that the, the, the blacks were denied the priesthood for so long is because they didn't ask. I'm telling this is unsolicited what? advice. Brethren, go ask God. No, oh, no, the bre- no. because the brethren never asked before that time? Yes. <laughs> because uh, there's many apologists who say it, was a, it that- was a purely a doctrine of men that God never intended the, the, the blacks not to have the priesthood. The and I'm you falling can into go into the history of the church in Africa and how long they were waiting for the priesthood to arrive and they were working directly with the brethren and the brethren visited them and were pleading with the Lord is it time is it time he kept telling them no okay and I, brethren- I I do have to set myself I have been making a mistake that I make quite a bit and a lot of people make I do have to set myself straight we talk about the church not giving the blacks the priesthood but that's not what the issue was because black women were not allowed to go into the temple. And that has nothing to do with the priesthood. So it was a much bigger and broader than the priesthood. It was a systematic discrimination based on race. All right. Give Mike so, a break. He's ill. 
I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to bust your balls, Mike. I'm sorry. He's sick no, too. I, no, it's a good issue. I just, as I understand it, uh, when Christ was teaching, he would not teach Gentiles. He would not baptize Gentiles, no matter who they except, were, except for the Roman. Did he baptize the Roman? He didn't baptize anybody, but he yeah. healed the Roman. Well, a healing is different than welcoming you into the into the fold and giving the priesthood and baptizing you. No Gentile was baptized but, until and no Jew, until and no Peter Jew was, was told baptized. to go do it. Just and because no, 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 wait, Jesus didn't baptize anybody either, though. Who said that? We don't have any record of that. And he oh, didn't I, also didn't ordain anybody up. into any priesthood. In fact, he said, "I came to fulfill the priesthood." Okay. Um, some, that was fun. Some uh, good advice in there. Some good discussion, guys. Uh, once again, thanks for your participation. Thanks to everybody who um, sent us uh, some advice. There's some really great things in there and some things for us to think about. This was a lot of fun, and I think it'd be uh, really good to maybe delve into some of these longer that we got excited about but just didn't have time to really cover. Yeah, oh. that'd be fun. Yep, as always, there's a lot, lot more to be said. As always, the discussion continues on our website. Visit us at mormonexpression.com. Um, you can send us an email at mail at mormonexpression.com or call us at our number and leave a message like Perry did at 801-906-6722.